All righty. And before you get too comfortable, if you uh, uh, have been with us the last uh, five weeks, this is week six, um, we have been starting off uh, kind of the, the, with a new tradition in light of the series called Are You Praying or Just Saying? So let's stand up and we're together. We're going to recite Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Uh, some of you may know it at the Lord's Prayer, but if you've been with us, you know that really this is a disciple prayer, uh, a model that Jesus gave to his disciples in response to a question, a request that he would teach them how to pray. So this is Jesus' model prayer for believers under the new covenant. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, you may be seated, right? So again, uh, the title of this series has really been a question. Are you praying or just saying? Again, we recited that. We said it. Uh, did we pray or did we just say? And the question, again, that I've been asking each time we gather the last few Sundays is, uh, you know, I'm guessing many of you prayed in some shape or form uh, this morning. I'm guessing that's part of your, your spiritual discipline, which is awesome. But we also have been asking a follow-up question this morning were you praying or just saying? Was it real prayer or was it ritual? Was it re- religiosity? Was it something you just do and you could probably do uh, honestly without thinking about it? So this morning, just, just a quick check because we've been checking ourselves each week. This morning, were you praying or just saying? Right? Right? Because we, we've been talking about the, the biblical model that Jesus gives of prayer, right? And last, last week, I, I had my phone. I don't have my phone. Hun, can I borrow your phone real quick? So I had my phone here, and by golly, I didn't think about this, but some of you were trying to FaceTime me during service. <laughs> and I had turned it off in case I got a call. But it would have been great, actually, if you had gotten through. Because... The word pray means to come face to face and to, and to say something face to face. So really, a, a great, maybe a contemporary way to shift your paradigm about prayer is it's FaceTime. It's FaceTime with Father. Now, how weird would this be in FaceTime, right? Let's say I FaceTime. Let's say, I, Randy, you, you tried to FaceTime me, right? Well, you don't have to because I, I don't know if you know my wife's number. But let's say Randy and I are FaceTiming. And I see him, and I'm like, hey, Randy, how you doing? And we're talking, and, and I do this. Randy, how you doing, bud? Right? And he is FaceTiming me. You are, you are, you are something else. Hey, Randy, what's up, bud? Now, we are having FaceTime, like, right now. See, there's his, there's his handsome mug right there. So he FaceTimes me. Now, imagine... If, Randy, how art thou, my friend? Get over it, brother. This is, we're, does it shift already? Does it shift when prayer is FaceTime with Father? Does it shift? Randy, I've known Randy and his family. Um, this is weird because I'm hearing you, then I'm hearing me like three times. So I'm going to say goodbye, Randy. Okay. So, I've known Randy for 20 years since we moved here with this big boy right there in baseball, Nordop. We go way back to the Brooks family. They've been with us. How long have you been here now? Just a little, little over a year, right? Connecting with us. Teach us Tuesday nights. Tracy, great servant. Just wonderful family. So how weird would it be if we're FaceTiming and I get all awkward with him? You know, how you doing, Mr. Brooks? Sir? Now, out of respect and all this kind of stuff, and I'm not talking we'd be flippant, but Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you say, our Father. It, right away, he blows people's minds because he says, our Father, this is family, this is intimacy. When you talk to Father, it's Abba, Papa, Daddy. And the religious leaders freaked like, who, I can't believe you, what are you, what? 
That's Yahweh, God. We don't even speak his name. And Jesus says, pray then like this, our, meaning our, like this is like a family prayer, new covenant prayer. For this prayer to be a prayer, you have to be in the fam. Okay, seriously, that's our father. In John, only people who believe in Jesus have the right to become children of God. So biblically, the Lord's prayer is for believers. It's a new covenant prayer. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching the church how to interact, how to have face time with Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. It's familial right off the bat. It's a new covenant prayer model, right? The whole Sermon on the Mount is about new covenant living. Yesterday, uh, we had gotten tickets uh, to go to the Dodger game and, uh, from Mr. Brooks. <laughs> And my wife hadn't been to a, we grew up in San Diego, so she hadn't been to a Padre game since she was yay big with her dad, and it was special, and it was wonderful. It was also got a pair of Dodger socks out of it. It was sock night. And so we get there early, and we're sitting there a couple hours, and, you know, we're just kind of looking. And then I noticed on the screens, I had seen this group of people out in the center field bleachers sitting in the sun, because we were in the shade, and I'm like, man, they must be burning. And it was like this whole group of, like, like packed. And I'm like, hmm. And then, like, two hours before service, I'm looking, and up on the big screens, I realize there's a wedding happening right there. There was a wedding, a bride in her wedding dress, and they had it up on the big screens from a distance. They were showing the wedding ceremony, and that group of people in the center field bleachers was there as their guests. And at certain points, they would wave their Dodger towels. It was really cool, right? And, and then um, at the end, they showed the kiss on the big screen, and the whole stadium starts clapping. It was, like, like pretty cool stuff, right? And me being a pastor who can't get out of theology mode, I'm like, dude, what a great place to start in, uh, to celebrate a new covenant. A marriage covenant at the Dodger game, right? Then they opened up the center field wall and they let the bridal party come down on the warning track and they were taking pictures on the field before the game. But I'm thinking, uh, hey, that's covenant. That couple is celebrating the beginning of a new covenant relationship at Dodger Stadium, right? They're in covenant, God's supernatural covenant called marriage. So they're now supposed to interact. Now this new union, the two become one, this new marriage covenant requires, biblically, new ways of interacting. You're not single anymore. There's biblical guidelines, biblical commands for how a man and woman should interact in covenant. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. You're in covenant. This is covenant. Now you're in covenant in through my blood. This is my, the new covenant in my blood, Luke, Right? Faith in Jesus puts you in a covenant with Father. He's now Father, not Yahweh distant God, right? Not deism. Deism, right, is the God created it. I believe in a God, but he put the universe out there and it's spinning and he just sort of sits back uninvolved. So I believe in a God. No, it's, it's way, way more supernatural and powerful. It's like, no, it's covenant. You're in, you're in family with God, and now he became Abba, Papa, Daddy, right? And so we've been working through this model prayer, right? And go ahead, I don't know if it's still up there. Can you put that back up? Who's that? Garrett, right? So we've been working. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And now today, ultimately, we're going to get to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But what have we been learning so far? We have been learning to interact with God as Father, but not just generic Father. There's been at least four right now specific Father characteristics that we've been challenged with. One, Father's Abba. I've mentioned that. I think they're going to come up. Abba, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. So this is Father King. So we approach him as Abba, Papa, Daddy, but at the same time, he's still King of Kings and Lord of Lords, still still on the throne at this very second, right? And then he's Father Provider. Give us this day our daily bread. So he's Abba, he's King, and he's Provider, right? And then he's Communicator. And we talked about this from Ecclesiastes. He wants to communicate through his word and his spirit to us. He He wants us to listen. Right? He wants us to listen. So that's why we can't like, just race through this, because I don't know about you, but I could camp there for a few years. How many of you married in covenant couples 
it's taken you a few years to figure it out how to interact. Anyone? Still, right? How long have you been married? 46 years, still trying to figure it out, right? Because this covenant thing, this two becoming one, this, this like separate lives becoming one, it's kind of messy, isn't it? How many of you, maybe after 46 years, but we'll say after newlywed, how many of you the biggest struggle is trying to figure out like, what side does the toilet paper go over? Does it an over or an under? Okay, quick survey. How many prefer over the waterfalls? How many under towards the wall? The overs have it, right? The overs have it, right? Down to those little things that you're just trying to figure out. How are we supposed to do this in covenant? How are we supposed to do this in covenant? My wife and I, we, it took a long time because I grew up, my dad, I told you, he's a hard worker, provided, he would go to work, he would get up at 4 and leave at 4.30 every day to go, I think he was in the postal service, so he would, he would get up, had to leave at 4.30. In my mind, I kind of, I'm a light sleeper, so I'd wake up and I would hear my mom make him, making him breakfast and them sharing coffee and breakfast before he would leave, year after year, day after day. So I didn't realize how deep of an expectation I had for my future wife to wake up with yours truly to spend breakfast before I would go off to work. My wife is not a morning person. Not a morning person. So in her mind, her love language was, I will stay up with you because she was a night person. So she was spending time with me at the end of the day as a way of staying and communicating. I would wake up trying to communicate that someone in the room is stirring and that dawn has broken and that thou shalt join me, right? Years and years of trying to figure out this covenant thing because I had this deeply ingrained, didn't even know I picked it up, that it's just normal, isn't it, that every wife wakes up and spends time with their husband before he leaves. Just was normal, par for the course, in just deeply subconscious value. She's like, but I stay up with you. I stay up with you. You're, I know it's hard. And oh my gosh. It, round and round. You don't love me. <laughs> if you love me, you'd get up with me. I'm not asking you. I provide. I leave the house to provide and all this. And all of a sudden, because I'm accusing her of like, sabotaging my life because she won't wake up early and spend time with me because I thought that's what happened. See, my whole point is it's messy. It takes time to work out these habits, these things you've ingrained, and the same thing applies to your relationship with God. You're in a covenant relationship, and you'll probably check that. Check. Okay, believe in Jesus. New covenant. Check. Uh, name written in the book of life. Check. But when it comes to rubber meets the road, even prayer, there's a part of you that just wants to go right back to what you picked up, what's comfortable, what you think you know, right? What you think you know. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. This I've shared with you before. This talking casually, informally, familially to God as father, coming from a Roman Catholic background, blew my mind. Blew my mind. First time, I, I share with you this, this Friday night Bible study that they, she would take me to when I was not a believer in San Diego. These evangelical Christians singing to God like he was actually there, singing to God like they actually loved him, and then talking to God in normal, normal tones. And I remember, I was like, can you do that? Literally, there's no priest here. Are you allowed to have a direct channel that way? Is that even allowed? And I had to work through just not even my marriage covenant, but this whole idea and putting off a lot of this church tradition and habit, even the Our Father. I grew up, honestly, saying, not really praying. Not really praying now that I understood what Jesus was, in the context, what it really was. I said that. I grew up. I memorized that probably since I was four years old in CCD, catechism. 
right? The Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. I got it. Got it. But honestly, it was a lot of saying and not really praying because then I didn't have any relationship with God. So I would say it, feel good, check it off, and go on my merry way and live for myself, right? So I share this with you because you're like, why are we kind of like, why don't we just go through? My heart is that you camp here. Because if you will, will invest the necessary time, energy, commitment, discipline to work through what it means to have face time with Father, I believe your life with Jesus is going to explode. I believe he's going to set you free. I believe you're going to just grow spiritually, your sanctification, transformation. You're going to be set free from a lot if you will choose to stay there and work through it. Right? How many of you, 46 years later, you can honestly say, we work through a lot. We've come a long way, haven't we, honey? Right? This morning, she's sleeping, and it was fine. It was fine. No guilt, no condemnation. And you know what? She doesn't feel anymore. She goes, huh, see you later. And she <laughs> sends me on my way. Sends me on my way. We've come a long way, right? Hang in there. Hang in there. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing this because this next, this next verse, this next verse is going gonna, is gonna to be really a heart check. It's going to be a real heart check for us. Because it's Father Forgiver. It's Father Forgiver. And there's going to be a lot of layers to this, I'm going to tell you right now. We're not going to do this all in one. It's not. This is going to at least take three, maybe four, to layer this thing. Because this, this isn't just Father Forgiver this way. It's Father Forgiver this way within the church. And I understand that, and we're going to work through it. And there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of false beliefs, a lot of bad theology about forgiveness and we're going to try to clear that up to set you free to set you free first and foremost to come before father in the deep freedom and joy that you are forgiven but then the question is but what do you do when you mess up and sin how does that work how does that work so look at matthew six twelve. It'll, it'll come up it says and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and then if you didn't realize this 14 and 15 is an expansion on this check this out for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, let's read those two again. We're going to go back. So, these two go together. 14 and 15 is simply Jesus expanding on 12. So, here's 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. Just on its surface, without needing to know the Greek or anything, that's pretty weighty right there. You can leave that up for a bit, Garrett. That's pretty weighty. Read it right there. What does it say? If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, these, so far we've been seeing petitions. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily... Those are petitions. This petition, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, is conditioned. This is a, peti- a petition... With a condition. So if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, the most important word in 12, go to 12, Garrett, is a wee little word called as. I encourage you, write it down. The most important word in that past right there is as. As, as, as. Forgive us our debts. What's the word? As. We also have forgiven our debtors. There's a petition. There's a condition. And you set the standard. The standard is set by you. As I, Father, forgive me as I forgive my debtors. The standard, the condition, he's looking at you first. 
He's looking at you and me first. But see, we can't go there just yet. So you're going to have to strap your seatbelts on. And like, We're going to get to even what does the word forgive mean in the Bible? A lot of us even have misconceptions about the word forgive. Right? It does not mean forget. Like in our secular term, like let, me, let me just help you a little bit. Usually in the world, oh, will you forgive me? Oh, forget it. Anyone? Typical, typical, I, I, I heard, I sit against Scott, Scott, will you, you know, I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry, you say forget it. That didn't resolve anything biblically. That doesn't resolve anything biblically. Right? If I say, Scott, will you forgive me? And he says, yes, I will forgive you. Biblically, what he means, the biblical definition is he chooses to remember it no more. He chooses to not bring it up against me ever again. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, God doesn't forget your sins in the sense like he's an old gray-haired guy. He's like, what did you do again, Randy? Because I forgot. That's not what biblical forgiveness is. The Bible says that God chooses to remember your sin no more. That's more powerful, amen? He chooses to remember your sin no more. So when you put your faith in Christ and all your sins, right? And you, you're, you're carrying all this guilt. And he's like, oh, but Father, remember when? Remember when? And he's like, what are you talking about? How many of you have the file cabinet with all your past stuff? How many of you? And you give him the key to the devil, the accuser. And every once in a while he files through there. Oh, this will be a good one. Anyone? But God chooses to remember your sin. As far as the east is from the west, he's put it away. He chooses to remember your sin no more. That is why as you sit here, he's smiling at you. As you sit here positionally, he rejoices over you. Amen? I mean, see, right now, this is why I'm saying you've got to settle down. Because so, it's like, whoa, what? But I just sinned this morning. What about that? Oh, it's coming. But we have to settle some issues, right? So, first one, remember, this prayer is for believers. It's a new covenant prayer for those who are what? In Christ, saved. Our Father, children of God prayer. This is a children of God prayer, not a salvation prayer. So the context of this verse, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's a family issue. It's not a salvation issue. You're already in. Does anyone, we're clear, right? Let me, let me help you out. Before you are in the family, God, you relate to God as what? Judge. He's not Abba yet. He becomes Abba when you put your faith in Christ. You be, John says you have the right to become children of God. So judge God becomes judge Abba. Right? Okay? So when you put your faith in Jesus, what happens is God, judge, makes a legal declaration. It's called justification. Everyone say justifi- justification. Big term, you're justified justification. Justification is a once and for all legal declaration by God judge, not guilty, fully righteous. Once and for all, legal declaration. You're justified. Takes care of the penalty of sin. Amen? Right? Here's some verses. And I I just, I hope that these light your fire. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Garrett, let's go to Galatians. Galatians 2. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by what? Faith in Christ. And not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Romans 5.1. Here it is. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. We have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Come on. Romans 5.1. Since we have been, once and for all, past tense, justified by what? Faith. We have what? Peace with God. 
If you're a believer, the core of your joy this morning is that you have peace with God. You are no longer enemies. You are no longer on the naughty bad list. You have peace with God positionally through Jesus. Court adjourned. Verdict sealed. Not guilty, fully righteous. Come on. You got to settle that issue. By faith, not by works. God the judge. In Jesus' name, you are justified. Amen? Okay, not just not guilty. See, a lot of people have this misconception that, oh, Christian, now I'm just, my, my, my sins have been washed away. And now you're just like morally neutral, like Navajo white. <laughs> right? Navajo white, just kind of like that. Meh. Like, my sins are forgiven. I have a zero account. No, 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 no. You do not have a zero account. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when you are justified, you are declared not guilty, Navajo white, clean, but then all of Jesus' stuff is put into your account. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which is a lot brighter than Navajo white. So stop living a Navajo white existence. Some of you have to just believe you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and lose the Navajo white mentality. Oh, yeah. I'm a Christian, my sins are forgiven, and you stop there. Your sins are not just forgiven. Justification says, I legally declared your sins are forgiven, but you are clothed in the righteousness of my son. Complete the truth. Complete the truth and see what happens to your joy. Okay? You've got to settle that issue before you understand what's going on in this prayer verse. Okay? So, If you're a believer, you're in the fam. God the judge became Abba. Now, you're still accountable to him, but the verdict has already been rendered. Amen? Okay. Some of you, that's that's, that's what you need to know. I don't know. You're going to take that with you. Some of you, that's the truth I believe you need to chew on for the next 10 years of your life. You are declared not guilty, fully righteous. That might just put a smile on your face when you wake up. Like, holy cow, I'm in. And I'm not just Navajo white. I am like pure, holy, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Ah. Ah. Because over time, man, we, we just heap this stuff on us as believers and it just kills our joy. We forget who we are positionally, right? So then, you take that truth and you move it forward to, go ahead, Gary, put up 612 again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In context, this is talking about you and me as justified saints who might sin during our walk today. So what are you going to do with that then? If you've been declared not guilty, fully righteous, is that a license to sin? No. Romans 6, that is called antinomianism. That is people who misconstrued grace and said, well, Paul, are you saying because God's grace is so good that we can just sin? He's like, no way, dude. Loco. He's like, no. God's grace is not a license to sin. It's not. So they're like, okay, so what do we do when we sin? Help Help me understand this. Because how many of you, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, are justified? You get that. How many of you still sin? Are you out of the fam? What do you do with it, though? Well, Jesus is trying to teach us what to do with your sin. Here's a word picture. In John 13, uh, I'll read it, then we're going to put up a verse. In John 13, 1, you don't have to turn it. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, And they had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He lay aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, very familiar passage. Jesus washing, right? So he starts to wash their feet. And then it is to come up, John 13, 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was betraying him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. He's talking about Judas. So this interaction with Peter, it says this. Simon Peter, verse 9, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Is completely clean. So in context, what would happen if I was going over to Scott and Susan's house for dinner, I would bathe my whole body. On the walk over there, my feet would get dirty. So in context, in tradition, the only thing I needed to do to come into your house to eat was what? Wash my feet. The picture here is in Christ, you are all clean. As you walk in life, your feet get dirty. Your feet get dirty. You don't need to keep saying the quote unquote sinner's prayer and get saved every service. Because you're already clean. Amen? You're already clean. Look at the gavel. You're already clean. What you need to do is you need to figure out, and that's what he's telling us in Matthew 6, what about the, the dirt on my feet? You're already clean, but you got some stuff. You got some sin that we need to learn to deal with because you picked it up as you walked this planet, this fallen planet. Right? It's a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So there's a heart issue here. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The first phrase, forgive us our debts. This is where we're going to just stay here for just a second. Forgive us, forgive me my debt. On one sense, we know it has been completely forgiven. He's talking like, Father... I want to be right with you. See, there's a powerful verse. Ephesians 4.30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve, oh man, it means this. It means okay, to feel deep emotional or physical pain. But in the context, it means to afflict one with sorrow. To afflict one with sorrow, Right? New Living says this, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The paraphrase of the message says this, Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Do you, get, do you hear what's going on here? Right? New living, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Don't grieve God. Here's the heart issue. If you're going to understand what Jesus is trying to get at in this very familiar phrase, do you grieve when you grieve God? Does it grieve you to know that your choice to sin grieves Father? Do you feel that depth? Of sorrow. Now, what's interesting, the word is lupe. Look what it says by Rick Renner. Lupe denotes a pain or grief that can only be experienced between two people who deeply love each other. The word lupe would normally be used to picture a husband or wife who has discovered his or her mate has been unfaithful. As a result of this unfaithfulness, the betrayed spouse is shocked, devastated, hurt, wounded, and grieved because of the pain that accompanies unfaithfulness. This tells us, first of all, that the relationship that exists between us and the Holy Spirit is precious. The Holy Spirit is deeply in love with us. If, you were, if you've been reading the Old Testament, what did, how did God feel about the unfaithfulness of his people? He's not the angry God. He was grieved. His heart was broken, right? And so the question, the heart issue for us is, do you grieve when you grieve God? Let's, let's just bring this right down to, to, to rubber meets the road. Do you grieve when you do something willfully that hurts your spouse? 
Do you grieve over the consequences of your willful choice and what it did to the one you love? Your, your, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister. Do you grieve when you cause grief in someone else's life? You've got to get there with this if you're going to understand what he's talking about. In Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, do you, do I grieve when we grieve God by our sinful choices? And here's the hard part about this, guys, and, and I've been challenged with this. In our culture, we have trained ourselves not, not to make relationships right. We're okay in our families when there's something there, but we just don't talk about it, and we just learn to get along, and we just learn to, to just function. I call it the dance. And here's the crazy thing. If I learn in my life not to make things right with brothers and sisters in Christ, that I have grieved. If we don't have biblical reconciliation, you know what that's going to do? It's going to ultimately impact me that I don't need to grieve what I did to God. And I'm living my life, and all the time I'm grieving God, but now I'm so numb to it, I'm just in function mode. And here's the other thing. If I'm living that way, and I'm just living my life for myself, and I'm not grieved over my sin, you know what's going to happen? If I'm doing that with God, now I'm going to do it with you. Now I'm going to do it with you all. And we might have a sin issue. We might need to sit down and talk. We might need biblical reconciliation. But I don't do that anymore. Who does that? That's old school, isn't it? Isn't that old school? Who even does that anymore? Well, it's, what we're, it's supposed to be the biblical norm. In fact, when we were raising our, our kids, one of the things that we would do parentally to try to teach them biblical reconciliation was when there was something wrong between them. How many of you have kids that have ever sinned against each other? Anyone? Okay, not you. You had saints, right? No, right? Shared, never gotten, right? So if there was a tiff between my siblings, I mean my siblings, my kids, we would sit them, we would, we would talk. We would we'd have family meeting and we would sit around the table. And what's going on? What's going on? Okay, what does the Bible say? Ask for forgiveness. Own your, take responsibility. No, literally ask your brother for forgiveness. And now Vinny, biblically, what do you need to do? Forgive. So tell your sister you forgive. We would literally work through that from there with this big. Because that's a biblical model for when they get older. Because if they don't, they're just going to learn to sweep things under the rug. And if I'm sweeping the things under the rug at the human level, I'm just going to sweep things under the rug at the God level. Because why? Because now I'm just living at, well, I still got my job, I still got my health. Things must be fine. The lightning bolts haven't come. It's not about lightning bolts, it's about grieving God. It's about this awareness that you and I can grieve God. And if we're going to understand what Jesus wants us to do as a family, when you come to Father, you've got to own that you're causing some grief to Him when you sin. I remember I was uh, 15. 15, I think. And I made a real bad, some bad decisions in high school. I was not a believer, very far from it. And I made very bad decisions that could have had profound impact, probably wouldn't even be here. So I, I'm terrified. I'm, I've made this decision. There's consequences that look like they're looming. And me and my mom had a pretty good relationship, so I knew I had to talk to her. I had to tell before this all came out. And so we sit down, and I'm like, Mom, here's the deal. Here's what I did. Here's what I think is going to happen. You know what I remember most about that interaction? was the pain on her face. The grief that I caused my mom. To this day, I was just thinking about this this morning. It wasn't even my notes. It just came this morning. I was like, to this day, I, I, I just go, because she sat there and she just started to cry. And then after she uh, 
kind of collected her. So she says, okay, okay. Let's figure this out. I should have been kicked out of the house. I should have been cast out of the curb, but my mom, with all the compassion of a mother and even her love for God, I believe, says, okay. And in her grief and pain of this incredibly dumb decision, willful choice that her 15-year-old rebel had made that was now going to impact potentially me and the rest of my life, the whole family, she says, okay, let's figure this out. And, and I, I was just brought back to that moment because I'm like, oh, Father, <sighs> that's what you feel, isn't it? When I make these sinful choices, you're grieved. You're not just raging, angry, ready to throw lightning bolts. You're actually grieved. It hurts you. It hurts you. And, and so when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, he's saying, hey, come to Father with the heart that you don't want anything between you and Father. Amen? You just want the relationship clean as it can be. You don't want any lingering stuff under the carpet. You don't want any guilt. A lot of us, here's the thing, is a lot of us, our, 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 our joy, the joy and freedom of being a Christian is long gone, mostly because you're living in guilt and condemnation. And mostly because you're not willing to come to the Father and just do what you need to do to make it right. And so you have this deep layer of guilt, unconfessed sin, and stuff you're struggling with, and you just are doing what you did in your own family, which is just get along. You're just getting along. And you come here at church, and you're just getting along. And there's someone across the row that you got issues with, and you're not even willing to forgive, but you're going to come here on Sunday, and you're going to play church. And you think that father doesn't even know. That father doesn't even know. What does he say in Matthew 5, 23? If you come to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, what does he say? To, what does he do? Leave your gift at the altar and go make it right first. Go make it right first. This is his heart for his kids. See, it's crazy. You know what Abba's heart for us first is that we're right. But we want to come here and we want to listen to me and we listen to the word and sing all these songs about how great God is all the while we have angst and unforgiveness in the church. And people wonder why the church is in the condition it's in. And Father's like, wait, you're singing all these songs about how much you love me and how we should one another. Like Jordan gave a great graphic, thank you, did a great job, about how we should love one another, biggest circle. What about that person across the row? Because the Bible says we're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us. He's the standard of forgiveness. Right? And yet, even maybe today here, there's unforgiveness in this group. And yet, we're trying to just play church and Father's like, why can't you just do what I told you? 612. 612. 612. My, my son told you how to do it as a family. Right? like in my family. Why are you trying to... Hey, Eileen, why are you trying to get all buddy-buddy with me? I know you got some with Shiloh. <laughs> Go make it right first with her. Then come talk to me. But, 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 no. Just go talk to her. Make it right. Your sisters, go make it right. But don't come here and play, play house with me until you make it right. Do you see? This is what's going on here. And it begins with this heart. It says, Father, I don't want to grieve you. I do not want to grieve you. Not because I'm afraid of lightning bolts, but because I love you. If you're sitting next to your spouse, I hope, I pray that the decisions you make are based on love and not out of fear. I pray that you want to love that person to death. You want to love them as Christ loved the church. You want to do everything to communicate self-sacrificial love out of love. Not out of fear of getting caught. Not out of fear of getting yelled at. Not out of fear of finger wagging. And that's the same covenant love he wants from his kids. That we would just love him and not want to grieve him. And if we do, here's the thing. We are grieved. Grieved to the point of what? Wanting to make it right. Wanting to make it right. Right? What does the Bible say? His kindness leads us to repentance. His grace 
His grace. Right? You remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son is all about himself. Hey, I want to, I'll, give me my inheritance. He goes off, loses his money, ends up with the pigs. And I love this. Garrett, we'll skip all the way up to that because we'll, we'll just come back. It's going to be uh, Luke 15. Luke 15, 17. When he came to his senses, this is the prodigal son who was living a self-centered, selfish life. Didn't even care about his father's feelings. Didn't even care, right? Didn't even care what his mother and father thought. Didn't even care. He says, now he's with the pigs. He's eating in the slop. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and this is personal, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. Not rage. Not you've been kicked out of the family. He was filled with what? Compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatty calf and, calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Some of you have been like years of prodigal stuff you've been hiding and from Father. And here's my, my deepest prayer. Have, a, have one of these moments. Have one of these moments where you say, i got to get right with Father. I have grieved Father. I was living for myself. I went and I didn't even care what Father thought. I was so consumed with me that I didn't give a rip what Father thought. Just give me my inheritance. I'm out. He didn't even care. He comes to his senses and he realizes, oop, this was personal, wasn't it? And here's the thing. Many of us might be there. And I want to encourage you. When you come to your senses, Father will come running to you. <laughs> Many of us don't because you're scared to death. You are scared to death because you're still operating that he's He's Abba. You're his son. You're his daughter. When you, when you show up on the horizon, <laughs> what do you think he's going to do when you show up on the horizon? Coming home. Filled with compassion. Whatever you've done. Whatever you have done. Make it right. Make it right. Just make it right. I love this verse. 1 John 2. Look at this. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. Right here. Verse 1 again. If anyone does sin. Okay, that would be all of us. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. That advocate is a legal term. It's a defense attorney. It's someone who is called to render aid in the court of law. See, some of you know you need to get right with God. You have been grieving God. And you're right outside, if you've been to the jury, you're right outside the courtroom. I hear him. Don't go in and make it right. I ain't going in there. The judge... No, go in there. Your dad's the judge, not head. But, 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 and dude, your defense attorney, it's Jesus. You're clothed in his stuff, dude. You're standing right outside the door and you have the wrong picture of what's going on in there. You're about, you think you go in the door and it's guilt and condemnation and the gavel's coming down. You don't realize when you come through the door, it's hooting and hollering because you're home. That's what's waiting for you here. You have an advocate. An advocate. You walk in. Jesus, the advocate. Your defense attorney says, uh, Father, permission to approach the bench? Sure, come on up, counsel. Uh, Father, just one. Yeah. Clothed in my righteousness. 
yeah, they've grieved you, but it's forg- they're forgiven in Christ. And they're here to make it right. He's advocating for you. You have an advocate already if you're a believer. So when you and I get out there and we make sinful, willful choices and we muddy up our feet, go take care of it. Go get it washed. Go get it washed. Just go get it washed. How do you do that? You confess. 1 John 1, eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So here's, when you go in and you confess to Father, Judge, with Jesus your advocate there, to confess simply means to agree with, to say the same thing as. So when I confess, I am saying to Father, Father, I agree, it is sin. I'm not, I'm not excusing it, I'm not justifying it, I'm not rationalizing it. According to your word, my choice that I made was called sin. So Father, I'm here to confess and call it exactly what it is. Sin. I'm confessing. I'm being reproved. The Holy Spirit reproved me. He's calling me out. I've been living a life of sin. I've been making sinful choices. I'm coming clean before you, Father. I agree. I am confessing, agreeing, saying what you say about it. It is sin. And according to 1 John 1, 9, when we confess, what do we receive? What do we receive? Forgiveness. The feet are clean. So the key to keeping your feet clean is develop a, such a relationship with Father that you call it what He calls it. Amen? Just call your behavior, call your sin what He already calls it. And when you confess and you agree with Him, you walk out clean. That's the freedom. That When it says if we confess, it's present tense. It's all the time, anytime. Don't load them up. How many of you load it up till the night time? I got to remember to confess that. I got to remember to confess that. And by the end of the day, you're miserable because you have a yellow page full of, of sins you got to confess. No, present tense. If you say a bad word, call it what it is right then. Oh, Father, that was sin. You have a lustful thought, call it right there. Father, I just sinned of lust. You have an unforgiving spirit. Father, I confess right now. It is sin that I'm not, I'm not wanting to forgive this person. Call it what it is. Receive the forgiveness present tense. And suddenly you're living present tense. Amen? You're living present tense. And you're not burdened with guilt and condemnation that so many Christians just live under. Because you're loading it up and you don't know how to get rid of it. How many of you have so much stuff in your house you don't even know how to get rid of it? Anyone? And you look at it and you're like, oh! And you go watch TV. Anyone? Because it's so overwhelming, you don't even know where to begin. Well, a lot of us live our Christian life like that. You build it up, build it up, build it up. It's so overwhelming, you're like the sin hoarder. And you don't even know what to do with it. That's not how you were designed. 6.12 says, forgive us our debts. It's daily. It's continuous. When you sin, call it sin. Repent of it. Turn from it. And live present tense forgiveness. Live present tense in the spirit. Present tense joy. Present tense no condemnation. Right? Then your position starts to match your practice. Then suddenly it makes sense. Because if I sin and I'm continually cognizant and confessing my sin, you know what happens when Mark sins? I give him grace because he's no different than me. Self-righteousness starts to build when I'm like, oh, I don't need to confess that. I don't need to confess that. And then all of a sudden, oh, man. You see how it gets weird really quick? But if we're just daily, regularly confessing, I'm going to give you grace because I'm probably confessed more times than you did. You probably did more than me. But, um, you know, it's like, (laughs) it doesn't matter because we're so focused on being right with Father that we're not judging each other. We're not comparing. 
We're just loving Father. We're just loving Father and receiving cleansing as needed. Just receiving (laughs) cleansing as needed. (sighs) Nadine went to um, San Diego a couple weeks ago, and she, in in a course of visiting people, met uh, a young lady who'd just come to the Lord. Maybe about a year. Single mom. She's all excited about Jesus, wanting to get to know Jesus. And she asked Nadine for prayer. She goes, well, what's going on? She said, well, I've been living with my boyfriend, and I know, I know that's not God's will, and it's not right, so I'm moving out. Based on a desire to be right with Father, she is moving out. And literally her words were, I know it's not right. And so she asked, asked Nadine for prayer because they were going to go move her furniture out and they didn't know if it was going to get weird. Or, or. But here's a young, in the Lord, believer who wants to be right with Father. Father has shown her something in her life that is not right with him, that is grievous, that is sin, and she just simply is making changes. Like literal life changes, not even knowing what she's going to do, how it's going to work out. But her desire to be right with Father and walk in faith and obedience is so overwhelming that she's moving her furniture out. Simply because she knows it's not right. That is what it means to walk in covenant with Father. And so we're going to pray. And this morning, I just want to kind of lay it out. Are you grieved when you grieve, Father? And if you've been kind of like accumulating things, sweeping it under the rug, unwilling, unable, afraid, ashamed, guilt-ridden to go through the door and make it right with Abba, Judge, and Advocate Jesus, my, 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 I'm, I'm just going to pray that in this prayer time right now, you will just make that choice. I pray that you, like the prodigal, you'll just come home. Come home and receive the compassion of Father who will come running and kiss you and be so glad. But you've got to confess. Call it what it is. And then do what you need to do to repent and put it off. Okay? Father, thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Father. So very very difficult even in our head we we might agree with yeah we're children of god yeah we're christian yeah we're forgiven and yet when you call us out when you reprove us when you pointedly expose sin in our life why is it so hard just to confess it why is it so hard just to come home why is it so hard to make it right father And so this morning, as we sit in FaceTime with you, the Bible says there's nothing hidden from your sight. You've known it all along. And as Abba, you've wanted to clear the air. You've wanted and waited so patiently for us to come and confess. Simply agree with you that what we've been doing is called sin and then to put it off. So Father, we will sit and FaceTime with you. And if you're here and maybe you've not put your faith in Christ on the front end and, and the gavel makes sense maybe for the first time, then I encourage you, by faith, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Say what God says. He is Savior and Lord for you. He died for you. He's the atonement for your sin. If you put your faith in Christ, He becomes Abba. You're in the family. So maybe that's what you need to do today first. And for those of us in the family, if there's things you need to make right with Father, make right 
And then after service, if there's things you need to make right in the family with brothers and sisters, make it right because that's Father's will. Make it right.